0: Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. You've been with us. We've been going verse by verse. I'm going to invite you to go to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read verse 18 in a moment. Uh, But let's just pause And let's turn our attention, even though this is news to some of you, let's just turn our attention to Jesus, uh, because he's the reason we're here. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the written word. It's alive, and it's active, and it's sharp, and it heals, and it cuts, and it teaches, and it guides. So Lord, we, we put our minds to think about what you said, because we know that through what you said, you're still speaking. So God, You have a word to speak to us this morning about how how we love one another in light of Jesus. So I just pray for myself, God. Give me the grace to share it, even though my mind is thinking about my sweet sister, Mary. And Lord, give our hearts and minds the ability to receive from you. And we pray these things uh, for Jesus' sake. And the church said, amen. This is going to be a fun one. I'm going to co-teach this morning with our dear friend, Taylor Turkington, who's part of our church and a gifted teacher. And because the text, as you're going to see in a moment, is to men and women, husbands and wives, parents and kids, we just thought it would be fun to do this uh, together. Uh, And one of the beautiful things about the Bible, as we look at Colossians 3, we're going to start in verse 18, is that it connects what we believe with how we behave. And if you've been here all summer long, we've been seeing it's not enough to believe. Believing is great. Knowing right things is great but you really haven't believed it till you actually start to live into it. And so we're gonna see, especially in these next few verses, the connection. Now, what have we learned in the letter? Jesus is Lord over how much? Over all, over everything. And we believe that Jesus is Lord over all, and that's right and good, but we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean towards like everyday life? As we grow in learning more about Jesus, it ought to make a difference in how we see everything especially people where we live in our homes and in our neighborhoods where we work, where we're about to go to school. Hate to drop that bomb, but time is coming. School's about to return. How do we live this out? So let's just review Colossians 3, and then, because I want to read these now because it's going to hit where we're going to pick up in verse 18. Colossians 3, what are we supposed to do? Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, because you've trusted Jesus Christ, he's our savior, our redeemer, our Lord, we're to put on a new mindset. How we see people should change, which means we don't look to our culture to define how we view people, how we live with other people. We don't look to TikTok and Insta or your old school Facebook. We don't look to our favorite news feed. We don't look to YouTube. The problem is those are all informing how we treat people. But that shouldn't be our baseline. Our baseline is Jesus. We set our minds. And in order to do that, keep reading, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. Also rid yourselves of all such things as these, what? Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. By the power of the new life that's in Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can and we should, as Stephen has been so aptly teaching, put off the old clothes and put on the new. Bottom line, month by month, year by year, if you say you follow Jesus, it should show up in the way we live towards others. And moment by moment and day by day, were to be growing not as a guilt trip but as a high calling we should look more like Jesus and what does that mean keep reading therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved because we've been loved clothe yourselves so we put on what compassion kindness humility gentleness patience and we bear with each other and we forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone what's the model Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love. That's the key line, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We put off the things that don't honor Jesus, and we choose to put on the things that do honor Jesus. All of that is the setup, because sometimes when you read one line, you have to see what is the motivation. The motivation is love. If we are loved and we now love Jesus in return, What do we do about the closest, most important relationships that we enjoy? We're going to get to the heart of that this morning. So I want us to read these verses together. Here's our text, Colossians 3, 18 through 21. We want to read it out together line by line. Are you ready? One, two, three. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Okay, there is a hot topic right there. How do we live like Jesus with our closest, most intimate relationships? Um, Unfortunately, all of these are hard. Why? Because... The human tendency is towards selfishness, at least it is in my own life. When it comes to the closest relationship, it's easy to become loving to a stranger that you'll never see. It's easy to show kindness and mercy and forgiveness to a distant friend that you see on FaceTime or you get together two or three times a year. But how do we live the forgiving, bearing one another, hard-to-do love with the people we are closest with that we sleep next to, that we're in the same home with. Three things we're going to see, and I want you to write these down, and Taylor and I are going to tease these out together. They're all right here in the text. Three things, run them down. With your marriage, you serve the Lord. With your parents, with your kids, you serve the Lord. And really, with every relationship, you serve the Lord. Now, in order to do this, we're going to talk about submission and authority, everyone's favorite Topic. Welcome to church. Um, Submission is not a word we even dare to think about today because we're living in a culture that's thrown off all authority. The only authority that matters in today's culture, according to TikTok, YouTube, or whatever your favorite news channel, is the authority you give. You're the center of attention. You're the most important person. Um, You are the authority, and everyone else ought to line up with what you think. And the scary thing is I said that, and some of you are thinking like, yeah. Isn't that the way life was meant to be lived? And, and this is a hard one. And when we look at these verses, we need to be careful. The Bible is written in a very particular culture to a particular group of people. He's writing to a real church in a real city that has a cultural foundation. So here's what we need to do in the Bible today, and especially next week. Next week, we're going to look at slaves and masters in the workplace. Whenever we look at the Bible, first we need to see it in light of who it was spoken to and once we understand it in their culture, we remember that the principles from the Bible are for all people at all times, so we don't throw it away, but rather we read it and how they would have heard it, and then when we do that, we, we realize we're to hear it and apply it in our current situation. So before you throw this off as old school, archaic, and not for today, just, just a little bit of background, this is going to help. When Paul's writing to this group, he he writes what's here called a household code, and we don't know what that is, Uh, but in, in their day, they had all sorts of ethical codes or things that were written in the culture by multiple people on how relationships ought to be lived out in all sorts of dimensions of life, family, workplace, and everything else, and notice what he does not do, and this is huge. Paul's talking to Jesus' people in a culture. He does not say, throw out the household codes that they were all living by. He doesn't say throw them out at all. He doesn't say ignore them. He doesn't say reject them in light of Jesus. Rather, he says what we do is we live a better way. In our areas where we're to submit, in our authority structures, we live now with sacrificial love. And we're gonna see that in the home. We're gonna see that in the family. We're gonna see that at work. Now, what we have to do is remember... Whether we want to buck authority or not, we're all under authority in many ways. And as a matter of fact, you hold, whether you believe it or not, more authority than you give yourself credit for. With the people that you're around, if you are a supervisor, if you're a manager, if you're given leadership at the work, your influence, your email, your voice has more weight than you may give it credit. But we're to take all of these relationships, the ones that we're under, the ones that we're over, And we're to learn in light of Jesus on how to live with his authority. So today's text is going to first show us how to live this out in family life. I'm going to invite Taylor to help walk through family life.
1: So we're going to start with your marriage, serve the Lord. So I'm going to read these verses again. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I'm not gonna lie. Walking in with these verses feels like I'm lighting a match and just waiting it to, for it to burn down and burn me. Like these verses bring all kinds of feelings as we hear them. And in honesty, throughout history, these verses and the ones right after them have been used to mistreat and abuse people again and again. There's been a lot of harm and the misuse of this text. And so we have to be really careful as we handle these. I've been present in another church as I sat around a table, and a pastor used these verses to support abuse. And so some of us, we hear these read from the front, and nausea begins to rise in our stomach. And I'm with you because I feel that too. We've also seen almost a Victorian culture be Given Christian language. As if verses like these mean that women need to have feminine interests and, and they need to stay home and they need to keep and, and keep themselves in a certain area, and men need to go and learn and work. And gender roles had never been so distinct until that time in history. Or or we see these 1950s housewife model all of a sudden be like covered in Bible language. But friends, Victorian culture and 1950s housewife, none of that is in the Bible. But verses like this are, so we need to be understand how the principles from this text, in light of Christ's sacrificial love, applies to today. So we need to throw out the ways that it's been used for abuse and harm, and, and even authority globally has been used for abuse and harm, right? We see that consistently, which is why we struggle to talk about authority, but rather as a church, like many churches have, how do we look at this in a healthy, Christ-like manner? So that's what we're gonna do today. Now we need to think about in historical context. Okay, so in this context, the man holds all the power in a home, right? Now the man, the husband, could treat his wife and children well, or he could mistreat them. But there was no influence from the culture or from the government or accountability for him to treat them in a positive manner. And the wife had no recourse if she wanted to protect herself or her children from his words or his hand. So Paul steps into the situation. And what does he do? He speaks to those under authority first. That might not feel very subversive to us, but it's absolutely subversive. It would have been offensive. The first people he speaks to in the church are the wives. And that's because Paul has already made it clear in this letter and in other letters that there is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. No one has more dignity, more value. It is not the people who are men or women, young or old. It is not those who are enslaved or those who are rich. It is not those who are of the right ethnicity or those who are disregarded because of their ethnicity. All stand on evil ground before Jesus Christ. So he speaks to the wives, and he calls them in their role not to live as people for their own rights or their own wants, but he's going to ask them to pay attention to what it's saying and to use this term submission, which means to place your rank of under. He's asking them to live out sacrificial love because for husbands and for wives, there's a way of self-denial to love the other. And that is what Paul's calling for. This word submission makes our hair bristle, I get it. So again, again, it's been used and applied in unhealthy manners. But it doesn't mean the same as obey. He's not equating wives and children here. But what he's saying is a choice of respect, a choice of honor and trust, to joyfully affirm someone else's responsibility. In Ephesians, we see this word tied together with the word respect, which really helps us understand how to live this out. And part of this is because the Bible affirms authority structures, including the responsibility that is given to a husband in a home. We see that in the early parts of Genesis and throughout the Bible. But let's be really clear that when we talk about authority, we're talking about responsibility not rights. Let me say that again. We are talking about responsibility, not rights. Submission is affirming a responsibility and honoring and offering respect. So let's talk about what this is and what this isn't. There's a slide here that's gonna help us. What this is not. Husbands making all the decisions or them being more valuable. It's not that wives don't correct, plan, teach, or express her wisdom, it's not based on the wife's feelings of the day. And it's not demanded by her husband. What this is, it's a voluntary choice of submission, an offer of respect, words to honor. Why? Because she serves the Lord. This, again, doesn't mean that husbands make all the decisions or even the big ones. That is a misunderstanding of what this text is talking about. This doesn't mean that the wives aren't leading devotions or giving ideas, or telling their husband that they don't think that the way they're doing things honors Jesus. doesn't mean they're not calling out sin in the husband's life. He's still a brother if he follows Jesus. God speaks through men and women to their families. This isn't saying that one is more valuable or special or spiritually mature. Instead, it's showing that laying down your life and part of your will is part of following Jesus. And friends, Laying down our desires has always been part of following Jesus, right? From the very beginning, we have known that we sometimes say no to ourselves to follow Jesus. This is part of the Christian life because Christ modeled it. When the person of the Son in the Trinity chose to become into human life, to be born into the world in the incarnation, he humbled himself and submitted to the Father during his incarnation to live out this life so when we as Believers, we follow Jesus in this way of following and submitting ourselves. People ask me sometimes, well, okay, Taylor, so you're giving all these what this is, but it doesn't, so what does this look like? And it's really difficult to nail down because submission isn't something that you see on the outside. So it's not like I'm walking next to my husband and all of a sudden I look up at him and I cower and like, oh, that's submission. No, that's not submission. Submission is something you don't see. And it happens in my, in my heart. It's a choice. But when we might be in a conversation and I'm recognizing that my husband has an idea to care for our family and I kind of think we should do it differently. And this isn't a time when it's about ethics or about something that I think actually has theological reasons for why we do it differently, but just I have my own ideas, but it's a decision. Okay, I'm going to affirm his decisions here. I'm going to choose to offer respect. And even when I don't, I'm not waiting for my husband to earn my respect, I'm offering it. It's intentional decisions in a conversation to show honor. You know that saying, friends, where women want to change their man and the man hopes that she never changes? Do you know that? and, And I feel like as funny and we joke around with that, in some ways it can express a temptation that we have. That a wife has all these ideas about how her husband should act or should be doing these things, that he should be acting a different way. And part of submission, I think, is us leaning into our theology that God is sanctifying him and that actually the Holy Spirit has a role in speaking into his life too. That doesn't mean we don't speak to, but that we give honor and respect not just on the days when we feel like he's done a good job, but that we offer it consistently. Consistently that we are not waiting until we feel perfectly loved to be people, to show trust. This is also a choice to follow. And friends, making a choice to follow is something we just do every day, and it's a good choice. A decision when we are gonna come in and decide that I am not gonna always lead, and some of us have to make that decision consistently. Like, I lead by default, friends, I do. I was hiking once with some friends in the mountains of Colorado. I was there teaching this Bible course with a group of other professors. We all went for a hike, so we're high in the mountains and learning about the air in Colorado up high. The guy who knew the trail had fallen behind in some philosophical conversation, and we get to a fork in the trail, left or right. And there are six of us, and we've paused, wondering if our friend who knows the trail is going to catch up, and he doesn't. And I say, we'll go left. So we go left. And a couple steps in, and my friend from behind says, you guys know that Taylor's a default leader, right? She probably doesn't actually know where this trail's going. And we all laughed, and I realized she was right. And I didn't even realize it. I knew that the trail was ultimately supposed to turn west, and left felt west. So I made the call. And some of us, decide, just we default into leading. And just like when I go into a business meeting that I know I'm not supposed to lead in, I change my demeanor as I go in. I bring my full self and my ideas and my thoughts and my convictions, but I also act in a way that's gonna give honor to the person that might be leading this meeting. And so in the same way, when I'm interacting with my husband, there are times in a conversation when I realize I need to make sure I show respect and honor here, and I don't default lead. Because some of that is offering trust in the relationship. But let's be really, really clear as we slow down for a minute. If you are in a relationship where there is verbal, emotional, spiritual, or physical abuse, you do not follow then, friend. That is not where you need to decide to submit, or trust, or show respect. That is where you ask for help. And there are people on staff here that would talk to you. And we would encourage you to talk to authorities because that is when you need outside help and that is not what we're talking about here, about a healthy marriage where you both come under each other giving up your self-centeredness because that's what the Bible's talking about here. It's important when we even look at this, my nerdiness comes out a little bit as we're gonna talk about Greek grammar, okay? Okay, this is good that in this text, it is really clear who it's talking to. Do you see how it it doesn't say wives will submit, but rather it says wives, I'm now speaking to wives, you submit yourselves. That's because in the Greek, there's this Greek case called the vocative. Everyone say vocative. Okay, vocative. So the wives is in vocative. So it's saying, we don't do this in English, but it's a case that says I'm speaking to wives now. Wives, you submit yourselves. So it never says... Husbands, make your wives submit, right? It says, wives, submit yourselves. This is a voluntary submission. And I have seen it used inappropriately outside of understanding that in other places. But here, the Greek grammar proves it. He says, wives, you make this choice. And I tell my Bible students that Greek grammar matters, and it does, friends, it does. Can I tell you that Matt never forces thoughts on me? and my brain works in charts and like excel spreadsheets guys and and i have like theological flow charts in my mind and i didn't know that other people didn't have those until we got married and so we think really differently but so when we come to conversations i had a hard time receiving different ideas because i think in charts so i'm like well you haven't explained the spreadsheet in your head yet and he's looking at me like what are you talking about But I had to learn to receive ideas and maybe in my pride that I didn't want to hear him well and that was my lack of honor and respect being shown. Part of this is learning to listen well even when we think or communicate differently. But what's beautiful is what motivates the submission is so clear in the text. How do we do this? How do we place ourselves under? We lay ourselves down choosing sacrificial love because we follow Jesus. Do you see how it says, as is fitting in the Lord? That Lord isn't a husband. It is the Lord Jesus, who has raised you to life, who sits on a throne, and you are with him. So when you follow out, and this whole text is going to use the word Lord over and over again. And he's not talking about a person. He's talking about Jesus. So that when you choose to do this, you do this because You belong to the most powerful Lord, the most loving Lord who has lived his life and died and risen again for you because of his sacrificial love. This is how we do it. We're called to self-sacrifice in every relationship because we serve the Lord. So married women, what does it look like this week to show respect without expectations, to not be the judge and jury of your husband's sins that are obvious to you? What does it look like to desire his input or maybe even to apologize for ways you haven't done this well? The reason it's so hard to talk about authority is because it has been twisted. Even as we shift to talk about husbands for a minute, there are people who teach from texts even like this to say that all men are over all women, which doesn't make sense and it's not here. And if you, you have questions about these things or even you disagree with something, I or Jose says, please, let's have coffee. We can talk about it with our Bibles open. But we, women don't submit to the random guy in the grocery aisle that's male. This is talking about roles in a, re, in, a, in a marriage, a covenantal relationship where we're coming under each other. And there's been twisting even of stereotypes sometimes that come into this, like wives are supposed to have these interests and husbands these interests. But there's great breadth And the way that men and women look in the scriptures. They can have different interests and different giftings, and that means that marriage is gonna look different as we serve each other. It's not, as we come to the husband in this text, we have to remember that even as there's great difference and the Bible celebrates the death of cultural stereotypes, it does talk about authority, which is responsibility, not rights. Just like elders in the church have responsibility and not rights, the, sp- the scriptures speak against domineering or unhealthy leadership. So we look at husbands here, and we would think that the line about husbands would have to say something about leadership, but I remember exactly where I was when Matt pointed this out when we were dating, and he said, it doesn't say lead, it says love. And that doesn't mean the, the husband doesn't need to think about their responsibility, but it was really moving to me to understand that this command first is about sacrificial love, brothers that you don't live by self-assertion, but by self-giving in your marriage. This kind of love is agape in the text, the kind of love that Christ defines. In Ephesians 5, it flusters out, saying that he loves the church and dies for her. That's the kind of love you give. This isn't romantic love that would come in a non-Christian home. It's only the kind of love we would find in a Christian home. We've We've been told all kinds of false views of authority what does God say Authorities is? It's not macho or demanding. It's not requiring respect. It's not getting to live in comfort or even to reserve your emotional energy for when you want to expend it. It's sacrificial love in the way that your wife needs it. Now, I don't, we don't have this perfect in my marriage. Um, And it does look different in different marriages. And Matt loves me sacrificially in all kinds of ways. But part of honoring him is me not telling you about them because he would hate that. But he values who I am in my nerdiness, in my overanalysts, in my weakness. He goes grocery shopping on Saturday mornings so that I can write sermons and write commentaries. And that's going to look different in each marriage, but we think about what this means is sacrificial love in the ways that your wife needs it. But the next part of this text says, literally, do not be made bitter towards them. There's this temptation towards bitterness and harshness. Marriage is rough. Sins run against each other, fears, wounds. They rub against each other, desires, to the point that sometimes it feels like it's building, building, building. And the text warns against this avalanche that would fall down, this landslide then of bitterness and harshness as you give. Sometimes expectations and anger can build even in marriages. And brothers, I might ask you is maybe this marriage not what you expected? Does she need something you didn't want to deal with? Is it harder than you wanted? Does she not give you the control, a respect that you thought you would have? It can feel that way. And sometimes you're standing at the bottom of the hill and you're trying to hold the landslide back of harshness or bitterness. What this is not is husbands, silencing their own needs. It's not a stereotype of expressing romantic love like lots of flowers or chocolate. It's not based on the feelings of the day or demanded by a wife. But this is sacrificial love like Christ's, a choice away from harshness, expressed in the way your wife needs, and love because he serves the Lord. Husbands, you can tell your wife about it your needs, and you need to, so that she can love and serve and follow. You can ask for help, but you cannot get bitter and harsh. That is what Christ says. Because marriage isn't about our hopes or our expectations, it is a covenant that fleshes out what it looks like for Christ to love the church and the church to love Christ. And because you have been loved by Jesus and he has raised you up You love sacrificially without bitterness, without keeping score. You do it early in the morning and late at night when you're really tired and when you think she's super difficult, when she's driving you nuts and you can't figure out how she's thinking. You love her like this in the bedroom and you love her like this in the hospital room because one day you will be there. Sacrificial love, not a romantic falling in love kind of love but it's a both of us giving up of self-centeredness because we have a great Lord who we serve. And we all say vocative, which means wives, we don't get to say, have you loved me enough today? Because this is a command to husbands. I'm speaking to husbands, they say. And these commands are for when both both sides of the marriage are coming under each other, and that's when it's most beautiful Because that's how it shows off what Christ is like. But at the same time, these commands are still there when your spouse is grumpy or bitter or struggling. When your spouse's faith is floundering or maybe their faith never began. When they're going through seasons of grief or depression, these commands are still here. Because this isn't, I will do this if I have a good spouse. This is, I will do this because I belong to Jesus. You see that? And it will look differently if your spouse doesn't follow the Lord. We don't take ideas as wives that don't honor Jesus. And husbands don't lovingly defer defer to things that are sin. But at the same time, we still give up our self-centeredness to love each other well in every relationship, we serve the Lord.
0: It's just good to be reminded that we're given the opportunity to live in a different way, right? We can live for self-satisfaction, or in light of Jesus, we can live with the people who are closest to us to honor the Lord with sacrificial love. So we've taken a lot of time to talk about husband and wife because there's been such a lack of clarity around that. But now we want to turn it to the next two verses Uh, And remind ourselves, with your parents and with your kids, in the same way, what are you called to? You are called to serve the Lord. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, don't embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. In the same way, I hope you're noticing the connection. Who does Paul speak to first? The person that was less thought of. So in their culture, the wife was less thought of, but in light of the gospel, he speaks to the wife first and gives honor to her by including her first. And in the same way, in the home, where do the kids fit in the culture? Now, we live in the opposite culture where the kids are the center of the kingdom. Cuz in marriage, it's all about the kids and no. It's not necessarily the way of Jesus, but that's our cultural bent. Well, you just need to know, background, in their culture, kids were slightly above property, and in some in some states were not even seen as fully human because they weren't fully developed yet. We can't even rationalize that, but that's the audience that Paul is speaking to, and he speaks to them first. Why? Because they belong to Jesus. They have value. They're now included in Christ. So as a brother, he speaks to his brothers and sisters who are young and says, you who are valued, loved by the Lord, obey your parents. So I love the fact that he starts with a word to those who were undervalued in their day. And and notice what he says. It's similar. He says, obey your parents, and the word to wives, submit. Those are two different words, but they're connected with the same overlapping concept. Submit is the broader term, but to kids, the specific word and the how to live in submission is through obedience. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Why? Because he's your Lord. He's the one who's changed your life. He's the one who's forgiven your sin. He's the one who's given you his Holy Spirit. He's the one who's given you eternal life. The motivation is because we're loved by the Lord. Now, let's be clear what this is not. This isn't an excuse for parents to force obedience. Kid, you must obey. It's not a requirement to follow parents into sin. So we have to think about this in light of if you're a child, if you're a young person, the home that you're in. And if mom and dad are calling you to live contrary to the way of Jesus, this is not the, well, I have to stumble into sin as they do because that's what the Lord requires. Here's what this is. It's vocative. It's a voluntary choice of obedience. And it's a call to respect and honor parents. Now, how, how in the world can you can you live this way? It's about bringing things to mom and dad, especially if they follow the Lord, because you belong to the Lord. So when I, was, um, when I was just 15, 16, and I was thinking about my future and thinking about who I might date someday and may marry someday, um, it, we had a joke in, in our, our house, um, uh, number two of four kids, like, if mom and dad aren't behind it, it's just not going to work out because they love the Lord, <laughs> and they're going to pray about it. So when we thought about our dating years, we We were convinced as kids, because our mom and dad belonged to Jesus, we really want to bring whoever we bring into our life into their life as well. Because my mom's a praying mom, and she'll just pray them away. (laughs) It's just not going to work. And so I remember when when I met Carmen, and I was actually nervous about bringing her to the house. Because I wanted my mom and dad to know who I was thinking about. uh, Because I wanted to honor the Lord, and I wanted to honor the Lord in every area of life. And so it it didn't seem unnatural to say who I date matters to my parents as well. And that may seem old school, but that's what I did. And so I remember bringing her into the house, total nerves, and and like, is is she going to receive Carmen or am I in trouble? Because I like her, but mom's going to pray against her. And there was her opening line, like, oh, she's so short. That was her opening (laughs) line, (laughs) which is true. (laughs) But we still (laughs) laugh about it today, like, mom, that was your first Thought. But um, but they got to know her and and embrace her. And it was a beautiful thing to stand there on our wedding day with mom and dad lovingly saying, We we think this is from the Lord. That may that may sound archaic, it may sound old school. Here's the problem: today's world is simply saying, You are in charge of you. And so young people just need to hear this. It is not defiant when an older person, the Lord says, Do you know what? Your relational life belongs to Jesus and God's given you a parent. And this is a a word if your aunt is raising you or if your grandparents are raising you, God is giving you people in your life for your good and part of honoring the Lord is not bypassing who he put in your life. And there can be blessing when you submit all of your life to Jesus and if you're a child and you're under the care of others that you submit those choices So Jesus and the people who belong to you. And that may not sound like something that anyone else is doing, but why do we want to do what everyone else is doing? Why do we want our culture to dictate how we follow the Lord, but rather we look to the Bible and and children were called to obey? But remember, grammar matters. And this is a voluntary thing. It's, It's from the heart. This also, it's important to say, doesn't relate to the rest of your days. When Paul's speaking here in Ephesians 5, he's speaking to those who are under the care of the household. And there is a time in life when you go out of the care of the household, you still honor and respect your parents. Uh, But I'm 51, and my parents' voice in my life is different when I was 15. And so there is space for moms and dads to release your kids to God and stop treating them like they're 12. So it goes both ways. Do you notice? It's, it's not about pride and self-satisfaction. It's about humility and sacrificial love. So it's to the husband and the wife and the child. Father, finally, to the fathers. The final command here is to dads. Fathers, don't embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now the word uh, uh, fathers here, right? Pateras can also be translated in some parts of the New Testament as parents, not just fathers. And so this is a word to dads, but when you look at their culture, in their culture, the father was always the head of the household. The mom would never be the head of the household, so of course he speaks to fathers. But in our day, uh, where there's more equality between father and mother, this is a word that applies to parents, but it is a word to dads. What's the command? Don't embitter your children. The word here means don't arouse your kids. Don't provoke them. Don't irritate them. In your call to parent, live in a way that honors the Lord. So do you notice that the word is to husband and wife, and the word is to child and to parent? We all submit ourselves to Jesus, and what we don't want to do is to discourage our kids. It is possible to try to do well for your kids, and in trying to do well, be so overbearing and overdo it that rather than leading them towards Christ and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit who is in them, you could be so domineering that you actually discourage them. I've got a a dear friend, one of my best friends growing up, and our households were both Christian, both Christian, but radically different. And my mom and dad because they'd come to faith at, when I was young. It was 100% about, like, have you brought it to Jesus? Have you asked the Holy Spirit? They wanted to teach us as kids, in your decision-making, come to us. Let's talk about it. There's wisdom and counsel of many, but you also need God's guidance in your life because there'll be a day when you're making this decision without us. And then my, one of my best friends, his family household, Christian as well, but um, for whatever reason, and I think I know some of them, but I, I'm not going to psychoanalyze. The dad was so trying to get his son to do right that it was 90% negative in his approach. Like nine out of 10, it was, why can't you do this? Why won't you get it right? Why don't you see it? And I remember we were in a band together, and we would go and rehearse at his house because he had more space. But when his dad came home, he was like, I want to go home. I just felt it was so different because both were trying to do good, but This father, for whatever reason, was embittering his kids uh, rather than showing the way of love. And I will say this, because of that, I've watched over these decades, and now he's a husband, and now he's a dad, and it's way more difficult because of an overruling, overhanded approach to parenting. And and, and again, I'm sure he had good intentions, but this is why we read scripture is because we want to live in a way that follows the way of Jesus. So fathers, you especially have a power in your hands and moms, you as well. So do you encourage, do you, do you move the goalpost every time your child reaches them and like aim higher, do better, reach more? Or just do you celebrate with all that you have? Can, can you speak to your sons and daughters with gentleness? Or are you convinced that louder and more abrasive is the only approach? And I'm speaking to myself and maybe to you. Um, what does authority look like? It's, it shouldn't be provoking. It shouldn't lead to bitterness. Um, rule of thumb, if if your children don't want to be with you when talking about life decisions, that's a sign that you're you're not listening or you're not getting to their level in a way that they can hear you and hear good news from mom and dad. Now, have parents all blown it at times? The answer is yes. And so kids, we have to extend grace to mom and dad or just mom or just dad or to whoever's raising you because you have to realize we're all trying to follow the way of Jesus. So we forgive one another because we're, we're, we've been forgiven as well. Uh, but in the end, it sh- your, your parenting should not lead to discouragement, which makes us think about how we respond. And I'm invited to Taylor to help guide us in that.
1: When we look at these commands of humility and forgiveness and love, they feel a little different when we talk about them the most close to home. Because that is often where we have the most blind spots. We can speak of Christian virtue and then we hold a grudge against the person we wake up to in the morning and we respond in anger to our children. So the question is, how do we obey not just in word but in deed by living out the sacrificial love of Christ even at home? These are the people that we need to be living out. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because you have been raised with Christ. If you are sitting today here today and you follow Jesus, he empowers you because he is your Lord to live this way. If you are here today and you are yet to decide to follow Jesus, can we tell you this is the way, this is what it looks like, but first you need him in your life to live this out. Because this is the way that we do it because we have a greater Lord over our lives rather than ourselves leading our life. If you've been convicted today, don't ignore it. It is hard work to move against the patterns of self-centeredness to the pattern of self-sacrificing love. But it is worth it. And we serve the Lord in every relationship because he is better than anything that we have already. There's some questions that are going to help us finish here as we think about these things. Married friends, who do you need to apologize to as we've talked about this? How do you need to serve the Lord better in your closest relationships? All of us, have you been wounded by family relationships in the past where you need healing because of things that were used poorly, where authority was done wrong and there was harm done to you? Whether that be from a parent, from a spouse, and single friends, we've been talking a lot about marriage and parenting. But perhaps even in your closest relationships, what does it look like for you to live out self-sacrificing love? For an adult child with a parent or with a roommate? We're going to have an opportunity to respond, and I want to encourage you to respond, to really take this seriously, to work in your own heart with the Lord or to come forward with prayer. If you come forward, you can talk to the Lord about the ways that maybe you have failed to serve him in your relationships. And if you do, a friend will come and pray for you, pray for the Lord to meet you, pray the Lord's goodness and mercy over you. They won't have to ask any questions. But we also want you to know that if you are feeling that pain this morning because you've been wounded in some of these relationships in the past, on forward for healing, the Lord will meet you there as well. We are so grateful the Lord meets us in all of these places. Father, we are grateful for your word, and at the end of the day, you are Lord over it all. We say that because of your great love, our lives are different, and we want to live out self-sacrificing love because of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' strong name.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.